presenting Real Christians of Genius. Real Christians of Genius. Today we salute you, Mr. Christianese speaking person. Mr. Christianese speaking person. When conventional wisdom said no one can understand what you're communicating, you dared to prove them wrong. Dared to prove them wrong. You knew your neighbor didn't know words like trinity, salvation, and eschatology, but you overused them anyway. You can't stop them now. When people told you what they believed, you had the guts to laugh in their face and wish them luck in everlasting retribution. You gotta be kidding. So stand proud, chosen one. Yea, though your words confuse the masses, thou knowest what thy meanest. Thou knowest what thy meanest. No, no, no. That isn't what... Wendover Hills is all about, is it? Just to make a little transition, I wanted to give some ground rules for this sermon this morning. First of all, in your outline, I really did want to bring Krenz this morning. And I just, you know the budget, and it just didn't work out. So, um, and if this really tears someone that's not ADD up, you know, this is our type of stuff, all right? This is catering to those. And so we ask you, as you fill in the outline, that you'd keep that in mind. The second rule that I'd like for you to, to remember this morning is I do allow a texting during the message, okay? If you hear a good sermon point, just leave your ringtones off, but text someone that you see sleeping. <laughs> or if you think they're over in another church sleeping somewhere, okay? You just go ahead and send that message. Hopefully there'll be something this morning that's worth you texting about. I... Um, it's a privilege this morning to just be here. I did not know when I came this morning, uh, or as I developed this, that actually the young man that I'm going to be spotlighting for a minute here was actually here. But what I, um, that would be on the grounds here, but it's a privilege. I am a grandfather, and I have a right to that, right? And so I just have to take every opportunity, even if I have a, a captured audience, just to show a couple pictures. But I love, these are some of the pictures I have put in Facebook of my dear, that expresses me, and it's my grandson I, this morning. It just, don't you like those expressions? It just speaks so good. It just, some of those have, uh, have come onto my Facebook site representing me. You're praying for the children's workers this morning, right? <laughs> and I, I tell you, there's something about this. As I wrote in my Facebook account when I posted this picture, it just reminded me that so often God uses me to represent his profile to the world. And so as I talk to you for a few minutes this morning, what I really want to get across is that wind over heels is a representation of God himself, his love. I want to continue that conversation with you because I believe that's what will make the difference in this church or in any church as you actually become the face of God in the community, as you actually become that person that God uses. They're, so often they won't see God personally, but they'll see you every day in the workplace. They will see this church represented in the community. 
And that's really what we want to get and talk to you about. We want to continue that discussion. Most of us, one of the first verses we memorize is John 3.16. I'm going to give you a slight... Mod- we usually do it in the King James Version. That's, that was easy to memorize. That's Shakespearean prose, and so it's easier to do that, right? But let me use the New Living Testament this morning for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That would be the profile picture that I would like for Wendover Hills to wear, or to present, that God loves the world so much that he gave his only son. So what is the approach of the church? And I think it's important to understand who we are. So I'm going to kind of talk to the church a little bit. But everybody involved here this morning, I I think it's important for us to understand who we are. We have to move from organized religion to a living gospel. We have to get beyond just who we are, our names, and that type of thing. And we have to move to something that is alive. Now that's thought-provoking. I, 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 you might ask, what do you mean? It, no, this is not against denominations or churches or anything like that. And I appreciate it. I see that you're a purpose-driven church. I understand you have worship, ministry, evangelism, discipleship, and fellowship. We need a network to work in. There, this is not anti who we belong to or who we're working with. We're, we're not there. But what I want us to get is to our profile picture that is beyond just the church that we belong to or the denomination. It's a living gospel that speaks to the world. Now, John has given us his version here. Remember, he is talking to the third generation after Pentecost. Pentecost has already happened, and this is the third generation that comes. And it's that generation so often loses the sight of what the church should really be. Isn't that true? We're so busy about being who we thought we were because we're now formed. We've been there a couple generations. But this third generation comes along and John has the privilege of recounting something that happened many years ago before Pentecost when Jesus was here on the earth. Let me talk to you about that because you see, as he enters the gospel, as he introduces the gospel of John, it's totally different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We don't see the baby in the manger. We don't see the wise men coming from the east. Instead, instead we see the eternal God who is the expression of God. He is the Word of God. And that Word, that expression of God is this, that God loved the world so much that He came and He gave His Son, His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe on Him would have everlasting life. That's pretty profound, isn't it? It's a whole different introduction to the gospel. It's a gospel preached to the third generation. It says, we need something that is more than just telling the old story. We need to be alive in telling that old story. It must be that. It's Christ the Creator. It's God come in the flesh to redeem the world. And it's in that setting that we come and we find this great story, the Nicodemus story. Oh, I get so upset when I see people start talking about Nicodemus. Oh, this little guy, he scared so he came by night no when you stop and do real bible thinking here you know you look at the supposition you say why did john reach back and he pulled it out of his memory and he places it here as one of the key principles of the gospel of john 
The Nicodemus story is a powerful story if you get a hold of it. It's just not someone coming at night to Jesus. It's a discussion that took, excuse me, that took place when that happened. It's one of the most important stories of the gospel. Let me put it this way. Let's relate this a little bit to today. It would be the dean of one of our great seminaries. It would be him coming and saying, I want to talk to this new person that's come on the scene. I want to hear the story. I want to see what you really believe. This is every bit as important. I said that last week. John's writing is every bit as important as Paul's writing many years earlier. Why is that so? Because Paul, this is the third generation he's speaking. He's, re, he's re-bringing, re-centering the church on what it really should be. So important to understand that. He's not only the seminary professor or the dean of the college, the great man of statue who has had this learning. That's what a Pharisee is. He was the ruler of the Jews. They had a second place within that. He was a Jewish official. You might say he's kind of like this. He was the denominational leader. This would be like the general superintendents from the Wesleyan Church coming down. He says, now we need to have this talk, Jesus. We need to know what this is all about. We know some things has happened here, but we really need to get a hold of it. That's quite a picture, isn't it? The great, this is a great leader of the Jewish people. He knows what the Old Testament says. He knows the laws. He's taught it. He's had many followers, no doubt, has come to his school there at the temple. He's brought many people up. But now he comes to Jesus and he begins to ask the questions. And that's where we must pick up the story. There was a man named Nicodemus. John remembers so plainly. I think as he goes back, this, this, this concept, and he's saying, now there's some way I have to take this idea of how do we get from the mosaic applied law to grace being alive and real. Do you, do you, are you with me there? Where do we get from our doctrinal beliefs to where it becomes a living faith? Where do we get from all these things that we believe up here and it becomes an action within our lives and a passion within our souls? Where do we get to that? It's so easy to get lost in religion and never really experience it in the depth that it needs to be experienced. It's an unheard concept. John had never heard this before. I mean, can you imagine the disciples sitting around and listening to Jesus talking to Nicodemus? I mean, they, oh, they knew what the Jews had always believed, but this is so new to them. And John remembers this story, and he says, I have to share this story because it's not only the, if you're into the, how the oral tradition became the written tradition and now is canonicalized into what we believe today and we read, that is a perfect example. Here's the story taking place, and John capturing the very words of Jesus. We're not studying John this morning. We're studying Jesus this morning, him talking him relating, and he says, you have to get this story, John says, I remember it back there. This is not about imputed righteousness, this is about applied righteousness, imparted righteousness. It's the balancing of, the, of our doctrine to be both, to understand that grace is not something just out there, but it's something that begins to happen in here. A life that becomes alive in Christ Jesus it's so important to understand that. You, for the record here this morning, 
Justification and regeneration should never be separated as two different things. They are joined at the hip. There's two things happen when you come to Christ. You are justified, but you are made righteous within yourself. And regeneration, there's a birthing process that takes place and you become alive. Last two weeks ago, I talked about how that love begins to move in you and make you perfect in Christ. Wow, what a powerful thing to really realize that and make it alive to you. But let's go to the story. The love of God is shed abroad in your heart and you become partakers of God's grace and your heart has now changed, let's look at it as it begins to happen. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Now listen, Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us the miraculous signs or evidence that God is with you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, if I put it this way, Nick says, God has sent you to teach us. And Jesus replies, what does he reply? Hey, wait a minute. I, you can't get this by being taught. Are you with me on that? This is more than just learning a teaching. This is an experience that lifts you so you can understand what you're being taught. Is that not right? There's an experience that has to take place here. There's a new birth. You cannot even begin to imagine the kingdom of God, if I can put it that way, until you are born into the kingdom of God. Listen, we can talk all we want to, we can teach all we want to, until it becomes a living gospel, it will never change the heart of man. You can't educate people to heaven. You can't, I don't believe you can educate them from some of the deliverance that some of them want. It takes the power of the gospel to reach into the heart of man and to change them. And that's what makes the difference. Wow, what a powerful way to, that Jesus began to expose the old Jewish mosaic law that wasn't changing the people, it was just making them religious. Haven't you seen enough of those people today? Religious people who have never really been transformed and don't have the passion for Christ? Look at what he says. See, this is part of moving, I believe, from organized religion to a living gospel. We must live from dead dogma to living truth. Transformational truth. Now, I know right away you'll say, well, all truth is transformation, but everything we teach as truth is not transformational. Some of it is just knowledge. But real truth is, but I would like to call it living truth or transformational truth, because I think that's what really changes you as an individual. The more I study the Scriptures, the more I realize that we have a living book of a living God. It is more, there's a dynamic there that goes beyond just the reading of the text. There is something like... In fact, the, own, the description of the script, its own self, the Bible says about its own self, what does it say? It says it's a living, it's alive... God is, the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. I believe that the Word of God has to become more than something that we just study. It has to become something that transforms and makes us alive spiritually. That's the biggest str struggle, I believe, in modernity, modernity isn't it? Come on. We, we, we're, we're so concrete, and we like to 
think this through metaphysically to the place that we can rule this on and we can lay this all out and that's all right. That's, that's good. But if it doesn't get from the head into the heart, we have never arrived at what God wants to do in our lives. I, 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 well, maybe you don't see it, but that's what I see. John's first argument is you have to move. Jesus says you have to move from all this knowledge of the Word and the law. You have to move from that to be, it becomes a living law within your hearts. The promise of the prophets was never to just observe the rules and regulations of the Old Testament. It was that the law was to become written upon the heart of man. There was something more alive there, and it's very important for us to understand that. I, one of my favorite scholars of the Old Testament, I love to read uh, Rabbi Martin Buber. He talks about the Old Testament language, and I just get caught up with it because that's what begins to open my eyes to see how the living word of the living God becomes so powerful. He says the very language of the Old Testament was a language of God speaking, and it was alive. It was never such a thing. See, see, modernism has taught us to teach, to just study the text with such criticism that we have the liberalism, or we have fundamentalists going off on another thing, and we come in a great debate within the church. We have to move beyond the great debate to the great reality. God is alive and well. The text is true. It, it has all the authority. I'm, not, I, I'm trying to balance that a little bit, but we can get so lost in the text that we begin to restrict God by what we believe instead of us changing to what God really is. Well, I'm not getting any amens. You know, I, I, have warned, I have warned audiences before. I have this problem. I'm a teacher. You called me coach. I'm a coach teacher. And if it's not coming across, if I'm not hearing something, I think I'm not getting my point out there, and so I have to go over and over till I get it. Maybe you're getting the idea. I don't know. But you're going to have to help me along here because to me this is so important that I want you to get every part of it. I don't want you to throw away the past. When I talk about the living word of the living God, I also believe that you're part of a living testimony. We are the living stones. We're the foundation. We're the pride of Christ. Listen, you're, big of, you're part of something a lot bigger than just this little church. We have 2,000 years of the bride being formed for the presentation to Jesus Christ or in the end. We are the bride of Christ. So we can't just throw out and become all new just all by ourselves. Are you seeing the balance there? We have to understand that we're a part of something bigger than that, but we have to become alive in it. We are the living testament to the glory of God. My struggle is this, and I've documented it throughout church history, is that we, the church has always struggled to where they are on this thing. I, I'm going to put up a little thing. It's called, I would call it a... Uh, the triology of truth really it's not that I should call it triology of spiritual or religious practice how it really comes down into the church All right, and there's all these things that we, we, we have a tendency to go to one extreme or the other the first thing is orthodoxy you believe the right things it is important that you believe the right things but we can't stop there the other side of that is what we call orthopanthy which is the right affections. I kind of heard a little bit of that. The pietists come up time and time again. You see them surfacing when we get into so much into orthodoxy. Then you find a spiritual movement that says it's not how you believe, it's how you feel. Right along that and the kill into that, we have orthopraxy or proxis, 
Proxis means that it is the action of lively moving in a direction, doing the work. The church has to have all of that. Truth is all three of those things. It's not independent of just what you believe. It's what the old Jewish conception was. Real faith is what you actually live. I don't care what you say you believe. I know what you believe by how you live. I know, how, I, know, I know what you believe by what the action it takes. Do you believe that Jesus died for the world? I only believe that when I see you reaching the lost for Jesus Christ. I read this. This is a, this is a church historian writing the uh, history. Olson does such a good job. He says, Doctrines were never understood as ends in themselves or ideas to be studied or believed for their own sakes. It was something that would settle us so that we could view the Scriptures properly. That in, the important thing is that Jesus Christ becomes the Lord of the church and His representation reaches. The profile picture has to come alive in this community. You have to become more than just wind over heels. You have to become the representation of Jesus Christ and Him crucified and loving the world to Him. That's what will make the difference. That's what it's all about. The church always wobbles a little between generations until someone begins to move forward and understand that the balance has to take place. If I could highlight anything, is that, that in this story... John wants us to get that there is an active, living transformation taking place. Let's go on. Let's go on with the conversation. What do you mean, explains Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water in the Spirit. Humans can re reproduce only human life. D did you get that? Me teaching you something, I could only produce to you what I believe. I'm saying it in a different term, but it's similar, isn't it? I'll, I'll get back to that. Okay. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. I, I believe John's remembering what was stirring in his own heart as he heard Jesus spoke here. He heard Jesus talking to Nicodemus, and there's something began to stir in his own heart. He said, oh... I want something more than just dead religion. And he remembers that moment and he comes back and he shares it to the church, the third generation church, and says, we want something more than just dead dogma. We want something that is alive and well within our hearts. We must move away from legalistic apostolitism to living faith. Now, boy, you, you really need, need to know all those words, right? We have to understand how the Jews did it. There's two ways you became a Jew back then, still today. Is first of all, you can be born one. Secondly, you can be proselytized. You can become a proselyte Gentile who takes all the beliefs and everything, and because of you being an adult, you wouldn't have to be circumcised, but you'd have to at least be baptized. That's where this adult baptism comes from, you know. Is that was part of bringing you to the life that you, you need to become now not only a Gentile, but now you are baptized as a Jew. And what Jesus is saying to him back then, he says, it isn't about you becoming a part or a member, 
listen, there's something. I want you to become a member of the Western Church. I love the Western Church. But there's something more important than becoming a member of the Western Church. You need to become a member of the household of God, and your faith must become real until you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. We are not building churches. We are building a kingdom of God. We network this thing. It is exciting to network it. But God has to be alive within our hearts. Okay, hey, I got an amen. That, that really helped me. I'll go to the next point. I got the idea. All right, you're getting the idea. John goes on to say to us, the wind blows, or Jesus in his teaching, whatever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. You can't explain this thing. You know it happens by what is taking place. It's a spiritual thing. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, You are a respected Jewish leader, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe what I tell you about heavenly things. No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. See, Jesus is setting the record straight. He is saying, now listen, you've been religious. Kind of put it in our terms, you've been religious, but there's someone who has come from the Father and has come as a living source here on earth, and I, it makes the difference. That's the difference maker. I believe, can I just kind of, there's all points of the one point, we must move from judgmental condemnation to loving redemption because of the human condition. We have to understand it. Let's, did I skip a page here or something? <laughs> Good grief. I, slipped a, I skipped a slide. Okay, slide 16, go back to that for me if we're not there. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so everyone who believes on him will have eternal life. I believe that John is teaching here that the judgmental condemnation must be moved to a loving redemption. That is the human spirit. You see what happened here is the Israelites began to murmur against God, and what happened? God took offense to it. And so he sent poisonous snakes out through the crowd and they all became bitten by this poisonous snake and they were in a dying condition. I want you to get that picture because until you understand this, you will never understand why we exist as a church. Man is dying. They have the poison that is destroying them, literally gobbling them up and they are helplessly looking for some solution to change them. Then the scripture is given to us. For God so loved the world, he loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Just to make certain my point is understood, God sent son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Good. I'll, I have one more point. I'll put it together, all right? The church focus must move from the focus, church focus to Jesus' folk, the change dynamic. 
When we get a hold of the change dynamic, we begin to understand the life of the church. We begin to understand discipleship. We begin to understand everything that we believe. When we understand that when Jesus begins to work in our lives and begins to move, then we understand the change dynamic. Everything changes then. I'm going to kind of link these two together. This is, I hope I don't, I, don't, I appreciate you not having clocks in it. That really does help me out a little bit. I hope your watches stop, but well, um, I always go to this. I love this because you see there's a story that I heard sometime. I thought, so descriptive. Sometime I want to use it. So it just came in. This family had some dogs, and um, they were going away, and they left mom to come back and take care of the dogs, and there was this dog that was always barking, you know, just, just every little thing. Just You could hear him all over the neighborhood, and just drive you crazy. And so the son told the mother, he says, listen, here's a... Here's a little button. You push this. That dog has, that has a bark collar or it has a little collar around him. And you push that button. That'll make the dog shut up. Okay? So, yeah, it wasn't very long. They were gone and that dog started barking. And so she started pushing that button. Dog went on barking. She'd push it more. Finally, she couldn't understand. She went out on the porch. She looked down where the dogs were. She's pushing that button. That dog went on barking. But there was another dog just flipping around like this. The dog collar was on the wrong dog. Animal rights people, you probably don't like that story. As a minister of the gospel, I don't like the bark collar being put on the wrong people. The sinner isn't who needs to be have the bark collar put on. We don't feel like we're preaching the gospel unless we're preaching at the sinner. Let me tell you something about the sinner. The sinner is in such deplorable condition. The poison of the world and sin has so destroyed him. He's helplessly lying there. He doesn't need you to shock him a couple times. He needs you to love him back to Christ. I, I visualize this. I, I'm trying to look. What, what do I bring? And all of a sudden, I couldn't help but go. When, you remember when Luke writes, he talks about what is the church supposed to be? It's part of your purpose statement. You're supposed to love the Lord God with all your heart. And what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to neighbor as yourself. And then he tells the story. Remember that story? It talks about the Good Samaritan. If I would rewrite that for some of our evangelical churches, this is how it would go. And the priest came by, and he walked on the other side and left that person bruised and hurt lying there and just looked, just walked by and ignored him. He had busy things. He had to go do church business. Then the, the uh, Levite, the, the worker of the temple, some of the staff members came by and they looked and they took pity on him, but then they passed on the other side. And then the evangelic church came along and you know what they did? They went over there and they began to stomp on him. <laughs> Here they are. Here they are, hopeless. They're ashamed of who they are. They're ashamed of what's happened in their lives. Their marriage is going to pieces. They're just barely hanging on. They don't know whether they should take a gun to their head and blow their brains apart. They don't know where they should go. And what does the evangelical church? We go out there and we jump on them or we put a bark collar on them and we try to kill them. We really hit them hard, don't we? Shame on you. Well, I told you that, remember, prophets sometimes get into ranting. This is my ranting point, okay? I'm ranting this morning. I'm upset. So often we forget what the church is all about is loving people to Christ. They're hurting so bad. We better find a way to really love people to Jesus Christ. 
God has been doing a work in my heart. I, uh, I, I don't know why certain things have happened in the last year, but I, this one story is one of the dynamic points where God began to really reveal to me how much He really wants to help the helpless. I was working as a chaplain, doing my duty. I, I told the, the team as we gathered for kind of just getting together, we have a kind I forget what they call it, kind of find out who, who's doing what, how many more cases we need to go see. And I saw that the one girl had, had a couple extra, and I had like 30 or 40 minutes left. And by the time, I'll take that one. You know, I'd, I'd seen him come through. He'd been a victim brought in with a gunshot, uh, maybe a questionable gunshot wound to the head was self-inflicted was the question. And in that, in that as I said, I'll take it. I'll go up and I'll see him. I'll take one from you So before I go home. But I, said, but I thought to myself, this has been a terrible day. And then I told them, I said, this has been a day I got all the criers. Every room I walked into, they were crying. And you know, let's, let's be honest about it. How much can you take of that? Now, we are compassionate people. <laughs> you understand that. But how many rooms can you walk into and they're, just, and they're just in tears? And I mean, after a while, I was drained. I wanted to go home. You understand where I was? It was all I could handle. But I, went, I remember I, they had moved him from intensive care, so I found what room he was in. And I walked in. I, well, I looked at his chart, and I walked on into the room and was going to just visit with him briefly. They said his wife was there, which I found out later was his girlfriend. They had a sitter there to kind of watch him. He, he, had, he wasn't really all there. They, he was kind of twitching a little bit in his, in his mouth. He could hardly talk because of the gunshot wound in the head. He was partially paralyzed in his mouth. And I remember I walked into that room. It was dark. And I could hardly see him, but as I looked down, it looked like a handsome young man in a tall, thin, well-built. But as I walked up to his bed, I remember, I mean, I'm trying to bring you to the picture there. He, his, you know, you ever been there when they've you know, done an operation, haven't given you anything to drink? I mean, oh, his breath about blew me out the door. And I'm standing there saying, oh, man, this is going to be a short one. He looked up in a broken way. He said, Chaplain, I want you to pray with me. I just got to get... And then he started talking, kind of broken. I could hear part of it. He said, I've done a lot of bad things. But I've never hurt anybody. These are just some of the words in between some of that broken speech. I'm really in trouble. And then he'd point down to his arms. And I couldn't see him. I said, yes, yes, yes. I couldn't see his arms because it's too dark. I thought, well, maybe this is one of those gang bangers, you know. I has tattoos. I can't see what they are. I get done, and I, I, you know, all of a sudden I realize I'm not smelling a thing. I, there's something begin to happen. There's a dynamic begin to happen here that I, I still don't, I still, I don't, well, I know what happened, but I don't, I can't describe it because it was something beyond me. You understand? This isn't something I set up. I'm going to say, I'm going to do this. This is just being in the right place making myself available to God and God doing something. I hope you understand that. The girlfriend came back into the room and I said, Josh just asked me to pray for him. He what? He asked you to pray for him? I didn't know. I thought maybe I committed a crime or something. I didn't, I didn't know what was going on here. And said, I can't believe it. And then he motioned to me. He said, and I said, 
something about them all leaving the room, and so I had to set her go set in the door so she'd keep an eye on it, and his wife leave the room. And then he began to tell me all these things again. And he began to point at his arms and everything. I said, I don't know what's going on here, but this man needs something. I said, I, listen, let's just bunch all those sins together, can we? And give them to Jesus and pray for them. And he shook his head what little bit he could with all the instruments on him. I'll never forget that moment. Prayed a simple sinner's prayer with him. And he's laying there. I finish and he's waiting. And I realize all of a sudden that he must be Roman Catholic. So I took his elbow and I said, for the absolution of sins, I took his elbow and I said, Josh, your sins are forgiven you. A dark blanket went across that room. I'm not kidding you. And all of a sudden, a light appears. I look down and his face is glowing and tears are trickling down his cheeks. He's just in such bliss, I can't believe it. I mean, God just moved in. I, I, I'm, still, I'm kind of shook up, you know. I'm supposed to be the spiritual one here, but I'm kind of shook up. I'm not certain what all is taking place. So I go back out to the nurse's station and I said, what, what's all those top twos he's worried about all over his arm? He says, Charles Manson. So, oh, so that's what this is all about. Just to take the story a little bit further, the next day um, he had requested the chaplain. He said, I'd like to see the other chaplain. So at, at report time, they sent me back up to him, and I walked in, and he's, he's talking better today. And he, he's saying to me, he, he, and this time the light's on, and I'm looking down, and across his arm is 666, Charles Manson. And he's pointing down at that, and I, I realize he's worried that the curse is still there. And so I, I come to him, I say, listen, don't, I know you're worried. I'm going to pray over those curses so you know that you have freedom. But you, something happened yesterday, didn't it? You see, I don't know if I just had bad pizza last night. So, but he says to me, he said, yes. He said, there was a glorious light came in this room. He said, there was such peace. He said, I've never experienced anything like it. That's the reason I knew something real had taken place. Where I want to go with this, first of all, I want you to know that God loves you. I wrote later on my Facebook, the most wretched sinner requests prayer and God answers. The most wretched sinner. But in our dialogue, chaplains don't stop there. They, they talk. They get the story. Here was a young man who was seven years old. He has taken care of his five-year-old sister. Somehow she climbed up and brought a cabinet down on her and killed her. And her parents said to Josh, you killed her. He has these scars. There were times in his life that his father would take a gun and point it at his head and said, you deserve to die. And he had a beef with society. So he turned to become a Satan worshiper. Turned from his Roman Catholic faith and said, Give it all up, I'd rather worship Satan. You see what I'm talking about? The helplessness? I could tell you a multitude of stories when I list down and listen to where people walk in these streets in America that are broken, bruised, and destroyed. 
My question is, is do you want to just go do church here or do you want to be a church? Do you want to just go through religious formality and build some membership? Or is there something that could happen in your lives that actually reaches the lost and you could actually become a haven for people who are hurting, who need to find a place for someone to love them and to come to Jesus Christ? I don't really have anything more to say this morning, except I believe that if you're here this morning and I don't know what what is in your life, whether there's shame. You could be a church member here and sin has so plagued you that you, you're really ashamed of who you are. This is a place you can come this morning that someone loves every bit of you, every part of you. God sets up divine appointments. I can't believe I'm here this morning without being here by divine appointment to somehow for God to deal with someone to say to you, I love you this morning. Let me have your life. Where you've been destroyed, where you've been just been sent down the wrong road, God is here this morning for you. Shall we pray? God, it's we're so ashamed of our sins. We really don't want anybody to know about them. It's so terrible. God, you know we don't deserve anything this morning. But I come to you and I accept your love and I believe you this morning. And we ask, Jesus, that you would just come into our hearts this morning and give us life. In Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I know in your bulletin there's places for you to respond. I want the church to follow up. Would you let us know about that? But I want God to do a work in you. Amen.